All right, church. Once again, we, uh, as I just shared with, with our little ones, we are going to be jumping into 1 Corinthians. And um, you know, it's, it's been about a month and a half since I stepped away from uh, serving as the senior pastor at Chapel Grove Baptist Church. That's where we were previously before coming here. And as, as I began to step away in mid-May, I began to ask the question and ask the Lord, where, where would you have us go? Where, where do you pick up? In coming here, where, where would you have us be, Lord? What, what do you have for this season? It is a new season for, for me and my family and, and for us as a church family. The new pastor, we're, we're starting maybe a fresh season. And so what, what is it that you have for us? And as I began to get in God's Word and consider and pray and discern, I, I kept coming back to the letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. Oh, I think if you're from the UK, is it 1 Corinthians? 1 Corinthians? Okay, all right. Good deal. So we're, we're, we're all safe here on that. Right? But I kept coming back to that. You know, um, as I lingered in that text and began to ponder over that, let me do this first. You know what? I just get the sense I, I think I need to pray before we jump into this any further. Let me pray for us. Father, again, I, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. I thank you for the privilege to, to open it before your people this morning. And Lord, I just sense, Lord, my own insufficiencies. And Lord, I pray that you might fill me up this morning, Lord, to speak freely by your spirit, through your word, Lord, by your grace. Lord, we need you. And so, Father, I just pray, Lord, that I not muddy the waters or trample the grass this morning, but, Father, you'd give eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand. Lord, we need you this morning. I need you this morning. Pastors are not immune from need. Rather, we maybe foremost are in need of you every day. And so, Father, I just trust you, and, Lord, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So here's how we're going to start this. You know, Corinth was a, an interesting city as we begin to consider 1 Corinthians, a letter written by Paul to the church at Corinth. Corinth was in many ways much like Sao Paulo. It was a major cosmopolitan place. There were people from all over the world. It was a major economic hub, a hub for religion and culture, and had a lot of the same flavors that maybe we taste every day in the city. It was diverse, and in the same way that the church was diverse, people from all over. And you know, Paul, Paul had a lot of insight in writing to this church, in part because he, he helped found it. He helped plant this church. He saw it birth. In fact, we, we get a glimpse of this if we back up into Acts. Acts, it's written by Luke, a companion of Paul, and he gives us an account of the planting of the church, the establishing of the church, the birth of this church in Corinth. And so that's where I'd like to start this morning. Let's back up into the book of Acts, chapter 18, and that's where we're going to begin, just get a glimpse of the birth of this church here in Corinth. And then what I want to do after we look at that is head over into 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and rather than unpacking all of the introduction, the first nine verses there, what I'll do is just, just make an observation that I think gives us a framework for 
for this text, okay? So let's go ahead, if you've got your Bibles, and make your way over to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 18 is where we're heading. Acts chapter 18. All right. Let me give us a little context, because we are picking up in the middle of a book here in Acts. Acts chapter 18, Paul is in the midst of his second missionary journey. So he's made his way from Philippi, where he saw the first church planted, the first believer come to faith there in Lydia in, in Europe. He makes his way from there to Thessalonica, Thessalonica down to Berea, Berea on to Athens, and now he's made his way into Corinth. And these, these stops in each one of these cities has, has been relatively quick, and not always by his own choosing. Most of the time he's asked to leave, or he, it gets run off. Or in his case in Athens, things just didn't go well. And so he makes his way to Corinth. And as he arrives in Corinth, he gets there and he meets a couple. A couple by the name of Aquila and Priscilla, a husband and wife, who they're not from Corinth. In fact, they're not even from Rome, where they had lived previously. They got kicked out of there. But they're Jewish ethnically. But they're also followers of Jesus. And so Paul immediately hits it off with this couple, with this, this family, and he begins to work with them. They have the same trade. And then he does what he always does. If there's a synagogue around, that's where Paul goes first. He goes because the Word of God is being proclaimed, and it's an easy avenue for him to begin to proclaim the gospel, to, to persuade and reason and say, this, this Messiah that you're searching for, that you're looking for, that the text is pointing towards, it, it's Jesus. And so he's there. But much like what often happens, Paul can't stay in the synagogue very long. He's there for a little while. We don't know exactly how long. The text is pretty brief. But it would seem as though he gets kicked out pretty quickly. Look with me here, picking up. Look with me in verse 6. It says, but when they resisted, now this is in the synagogue, when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So he, he leaves the synagogue, goes to the Gentiles. He doesn't go very far. In fact, he goes next door. He finds the home of someone who says, hey, come here and teach and preach. So that's where he goes. But not before this. Look at verse 8. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household. So, yes, he was there a short time in the synagogue, but who gets saved? The leader of the synagogue, along with his whole family. This is a pretty effective work to start out, right? You've got the leader of the synagogue getting saved, coming in. You've got, if you keep going in verse 8, it says this. It says, And many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. So this work in Corinth is starting out with a lot of zeal, a lot of fervor. The leader of the synagogue gets saved, so you've got Jews coming in, you've got Corinthians from all over, Gentiles, Greeks getting saved. By, by every stretch, you would look at this and say, man, this is a really successful mission starting out, Paul. Like, this is great. I'm sure you're encouraged. I'm sure this is, this is exactly what you would want. And I think that's what makes verse 9 and 10 all the more surprising. I would dare say 9 and 10 here is probably two of the most surprising verses in Acts. At least I think so, all right? Look with me. Pick it up in verse 9 of chapter 18. It says, And the Lord said to Paul in the night by vision. So this is Jesus speaking to Paul there in Corinth. He's been there for a little while. 
good success, so it seems. He says, do not be afraid any longer. But go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you. For I have many people in this city. Now, these are words being spoken to the Apostle Paul. Right? Capital A Apostle to the Gentiles, going to go to every city, going to proclaim the gospel, doesn't care if he gets stoned, if he gets beat, if he gets shipwrecked. He's just, he's zealous. He's pious. He's going to proclaim his faith. He's going to proclaim the Lord Jesus. He's going to Spain. That's his ambition. He doesn't get scared, right? Well, evidently, he does. Otherwise, the Lord Jesus would not come and say, Don't be afraid. Luke gives us a, a gift here in that he shows us a window into Paul's life, into his emotions, into his psyche. Paul's scared. And evidently, this great apostle evidently is at least considering the thought of being silent for a little while. Maybe it's not, hey, I'm going to be totally silent. I'm, I'm walking away. Maybe it's just, Lord, if I could just be quiet for a little while, just for a week or two, just to let the wounds on my back from Philippi heal up. Maybe that's what he's considering. See, everything he's walked through, it, it takes a toll. Hardships, they take a toll on us. I, I don't know where each one of us are this morning. Maybe what baggage you're dealing with, what circumstance you're walking through in life. Maybe you're... You're faithfully trying to walk the path of obedience this morning and you've, you've hit a place on the path where it just feels really difficult and you're considering, do I just stop here? Lord, I've done what you've asked, but I, I just need a break. I just need to check out just for a little while, just a little sabbatical, just, just give me some time. And, and I just want to encourage you, persevere, endure, continue on the path of obedience. Paul does that. Now, look, Jesus gives him a, a promise here. He says, for I'm with you. Now, there's a particularity to this promise because it says, and no man will attack you or harm you. I can't say that for us. I don't know that. that that's particular for Paul's situation. But if we consider what Jesus' last words were in the book of Matthew, what does he say? Lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. I'm always with you. Go, proclaim me to the nations. And I'm with you. So that applies to all of us. Whatever you're walking through today, walk the path of obedience. God will give you grace and He's with you. And here's the thing. Look how this unfolds for Paul as he continues to walk this path. Look at verse 11 here. And he settled there a year and six months, teaching the Word of God among them. So he's doing that very thing that God asked him to do. He's speaking. He was not silent. He's speaking, he's teaching the Word of God. And the result of his teaching for a year and a half, the church is planted. It's established. It's birthed there in Corinth. Church, if, if we continue in the course of obedience, the path of obedience, there will be fruit. It might take a while to bear, 
but there'll be fruit from that. How, how many works of God have we missed or not seen or experienced because we stopped too soon? We walk the path of obedience, we get so far, and we say, okay, that's, that's enough. I did what you asked, Lord, I'm done. And we miss it. How many works of God have we missed in that? So I want to just encourage you, keep on. Press on in that. Walk the path of obedience. Now, let me say this as well. Simply because we walk the path of obedience, we endure, we persevere, that does not equate comfort and ease. It's not as though just because we're obedient, we do what God tells us, everything's going to go right. Everything's going to be easy. Everything's going to work out the way we'd planned. That, that's not the case. That's not what happens here. Though we might be tempted to think that, because Paul's there a year and a half, he leaves under his own fruition, right? He, he decides to leave. He didn't get run off. The court case against him actually kind of got thrown out. Everything, it's all working out pretty well in Corinth. But what we find out about the church at Corinth is they're going to have some issues. He's there for a year and a half. And we might be tempted to say, well, you know, if Paul is the lead pastor of this church here in Corinth for a year and a half, they must, this church must fast forward to Christian maturity. They're not going to be dealing with some of these, these issues that other churches deal with, right? They're, they're, they're fast forwarded. They're, they're immune to certain problems. That's simply not true. Church, we all have issues. Every church family has, has problems. That's normative, okay? We, we need to understand that. I, I can think back to when I, I began at Chapel Grove. The church actually had a, which I'm fine with us not, we may have this, I don't know, I better be careful. The church there had a, a league volleyball, a, a, a church league volleyball team, right? And they recruited the new pastor to go play on the volleyball team. And so one night we're playing volleyball against this other church and do we do that? We don't do that, do we? Okay. Okay, just making sure. But um, anyways, we're, we're playing one night, and this young lady from the church, she, she goes for the ball, and it comes and hits me right in the face, okay? And so I, I tried to play it off. No big deal. You know, it's all right, whatever. What, it led to a conversation at the end of the night. We're chatting a little bit, and I can't remember the exact words that she said. I've tried to think through it, and I can't remember. But it was something to the effect of, if you knew everything you were getting into, you probably wouldn't have come here. Like, that was the gist of it. And, and I remember, and I just trust this was the Lord doing this. We were beginning to walk through the book of Galatians. And I said, you know, Paul, as he's writing to these churches in Galatia, why, why is he writing to them? Because they've got some issues. Right? In fact, when I consider all of Paul's letters with the exception of maybe Philippians. They're all written to churches that have some issues. Right? They're all dealing with things. And, and in a weird way, I, I hope that encourages us as a faith family here at Calvary. I've been here for 10 days, right? But, but I know we're not perfect. That, that's okay. I don't, I don't expect that. I don't expect us to be perfect. Not on this side of things. The expectation... Here is that we walk in daily obedience, that we look more and more like Jesus every day, a little more tomorrow than we did today. That, that's our ambition. That's our hope that we're sanctified. And one day we'll be presented as without spot or wrinkle before Jesus. 
but not on this side of things. Now, turn with me over to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Now the church at Corinth may be more than most. They really do deal with some issues. I mean, as we walk through this over the next couple of months, we're, we're going to see some things that I'm sure we can relate to and some things we say, wow, like that's really, wow. You're jumping in on that, Corinthians? Okay. Let me read the text. I'd like to read verses 1 through 9, and then we'll just make an observation from this. All right? I'm not going to unpack every bit of this text because in the weeks ahead, what Paul lays out here, he's going to expand upon. Okay, So we don't need to unpack all of this, but I do want to point out an observation that I think gives us a framework for the entire book. Okay, So look with me. This is picking up in verse 1 of chapter 1. Paul called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And Sothenus, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who are in every place, call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus that in everything you were enriched in Him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you're not lacking in any gift, waiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Is there anything that distracts you in that text? You know, the, the Corinthian church, I said they, they had a lot of issues. They dealt with a lot of things. In, in a very real way, what we're going to see in the weeks ahead is that their, their spirituality, their wisdom that they think so highly of is really disconnected from the way in which they live. There's a huge disconnect in their life. But you don't see that reflected necessarily in this opening, do you? I mean, for a church that has such struggles, such hardships, such, such blatant sin, he's not jumping on that right, off, right out of the chute, right? I mean, we see that in other books that Paul writes. Galatians, he doesn't waste any time getting that, saying, hey, you've abandoned this gospel. So how was he able to say this? I mean, look, look at verse 2. He says, in the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified. He's saying you're, you're sanctified. Saints by calling. So you're set apart. He's speaking this of the church in Corinth with all these issues, everything that's going on in their lives. And he says, you're set apart. You're holy. That's what it means. Saints. You're saints. They're, they're holy. They're set apart. How in the world is he able to say that in an introduction to a church that's got so many issues? This is what I want to point out. Look at verse 1. Paul called it as an apostle of Jesus Christ. How was he called? By the will of God. It's not by his own doing. Look at verse 2. 
They're sanctified how? In Christ Jesus. Saints by calling. You keep going down to verse 3. Grace to you and peace. Where is that from? From God. You go to verse 4. He's even more explicit. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given in Christ Jesus. The grace that they have, the spiritual gifts that they have. He goes on to say you're enriched in Him in speech and knowledge. All these things you have, it was a gift. It's not because of your merit. It's not because of how good you are, how, how wise. and No, it's, it's all because of God. He's able to say this because of the work of Jesus Christ in the life of this church. And church, that can be said of all of us, of any church. We are who we are. We're saints by calling. We're sanctified, not because of our own merit, our own goodness, our own righteousness, but because of that of the Lord Jesus Christ. His atoning work, His righteousness imputed upon us. That's how He's able to say this. That's how He's able to say, you're not lacking. And one day, you'll be presented blameless in the day of our Lord. That's how He says that. Because God is faithful. Church, we're all... I used to use this word a lot. I guess it works down here. We're all pretty busted as people, right? We all have sin. Even within the church, we struggle. But we can stand before God holy and blameless because of the work of Jesus Christ. That's why. Now, is that a, a reason to go and sin? Absolutely not. It's not. Paul's going to call out very explicitly some sin as we walk through this text. He's going to be very pointed. And my ambition is to strive to be just as pointed as he is, to reflect the text accurately. So we're going to be pointed in some of these things. We all not sin. We don't condone sin. But at the same time, we realize that our righteousness is not contingent on us. It's on the righteousness of another who died on the cross on our behalf, the Lord Jesus. He made him who knew no sin, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's all in him. Church, that, that's my encouragement to us this morning. Our righteousness, whatever you're blaming yourself for, whatever, maybe, maybe you're thinking, man, you're a visitor for the first time. You're hearing, I can't be here. I'm too busted. I'm too messed up. All the stuff that I, I did last week. Or maybe you're a church member and you're here and you're thinking the same thing. It's not because of how good you are. Do we repent? Absolutely. We don't walk in that sin. But our righteousness is because of Him, not because of us. I'm going to pray for us here in just a second. And I just want you to be really honest with yourself. Ask yourself, where are you? What? Where's your heart? Where's your confidence? Where's your hope? Is it on your own merit, your own righteousness, or is it on that of the Lord Jesus? Because one of two things will happen. If, if we get our eyes off of Jesus, if we're not looking to Him for His righteousness, covering us, we're going to do one of two things. We might be like the Corinthians in that they get puffed up and inflated because they're looking at their own righteousness. We're doing pretty good. Yeah, we got this figured out. Right? Either that's going to happen, 
and we're in error and sin, or we're going to see our own sin and get so down and depressed and beat up on ourselves. And, and that, too, is not what God would desire for us. Because in Christ, we have hope. And so either, either side of that is in error if we get our eyes off of the Lord Jesus. So I'm going to pray, and I just want you to be obedient to ask God, Lord, what, what do you have? Where am I? Is my hope for righteousness in Christ or is it in myself? Am I at a point in my life where maybe I'm considering taking a break and maybe putting a pause on walking the path of obedience and maybe this morning you just need to say, Lord, give me, give me perseverance and endurance just to keep going. Just to keep going. I hope you'll do that this morning. I'm going to pray and as I close, I'm going to go out and uh, be available. I'd love to pray with you. I know there's going to be some other folks that are there as well. They would love to pray for you. Let me pray. Father, I thank you again for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for grace. Lord, that is given. Grace is given. It's not something we earn, lest any man should boast. So, Father, I pray that we might rejoice this morning. Maybe that's what we need to do. Maybe we just need to come before your throne and thank you for your grace that was given. That you did give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to understand. And, Lord, I just pray that you might renew a fervency and zeal and give us a perseverance and endurance to continue on the path of obedience. Lord, that we might walk faithfully according to the calling by which we've been called. We are your kids. We're brothers and sisters and we call you our Father, Lord. So let us live in that identity this morning. Lord, we love you and it's in Jesus' name. Amen.